0: I'm turning this morning to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, and verse 34. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him, with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me and our subject is lordship salvation or not and the meaning of the title i hope will become clear as we proceed but we come to this point in the ministry of christ and we've been looking at great events and miracles their application to the salvation of souls in all in every age and now we come to these remarkable words when he had called the people unto him, he's at Caesarea Philippi the people have gathered from all over the place and followed him all the way from Bethsaida and the cities around the north of the lake he's got his disciples with him and the ordinary people and it says these words, so it's spoken Generally, not exclusively to the disciples. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now they're powerful words. Whosoever will come after me will explain that. In fact, we'll go through, hopefully, to uh, the end of the chapter. Let him deny himself. What exactly does that mean? Are these all terms, conditions of salvation? We know you must repent of your sin and you must believe in Christ and particularly in Calvary's cross and the atonement in order to be saved. We know that you must yield yourself to him. Are there other conditions of salvation Are there other things which must be in place before you can be said to be saved? These are very strong words. Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. They look like additional conditions. Should we resist them as conditions because if they're conditions of salvation they look terribly like works and salvation would surely no longer be by faith alone so we require faith and we require repentance which is the obedience of faith and yieldedness but can we spell out stronger conditions and yet the Lord appears to do so So we have to explain that. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the Gospels, the same shall save it. So it's our task to look at these words this morning. He calls his disciples and the people. Whosoever will come after me. Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, whosoever, will come after me, follow me. Now he's using words within the uh, imagery of discipleship. In those days, and especially among the Greeks, but also among the Jews, people followed mentors, particular teachers. And they would attach themselves to those teachers. Those who wished to be part of the inner band, those who wished to be under their influence, would attach themselves. Following implied a number of things. It implied being a learner, obviously. I am a disciple of so-and-so, in this case of the Lord Jesus Christ. It implied being a supporter, It implied being, in some measure, a servant of that person. You would do his bidding. You would go where he went. You were a follower. You complied. You obeyed. It implied being a promoter of his school of thought, of his uh, policy for life, of his general teaching. You were identified by his name, the name of your great teacher, Be he a Greek philosopher or a Jewish rabbi. That's how things worked. A disciple was all those things. A follower was all those things. And the Lord Jesus Christ happily identifies with that general cultural picture for the purposes of defining a disciple. So would you be a follower of Christ, an imitator, a learner? a servant of, a promoter of his cause. It's all those things you cannot pick and choose. You have to be a follower of Christ. But are all these things also conditions for salvation? Should they be added, as I mentioned earlier, to repentance and faith and yieldedness? Do we understand it all from the first day, from the very beginning? That's what we're going to look at. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself. We will take that first. What does it mean to deny yourself? Well, first of all, what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean what some people have taken it to mean. In fact, many people have taken it to mean what the Church of Rome virtually takes it to mean, what many Anglicans, not all, but many if not most Anglicans take it to mean, that salvation is by works. Let him deny himself. By denying yourself, what other religions often take it to mean? By fastings and observations, observances rather, or ceremonies, Certain duties and so on, by accomplishing this, that, and the other, you become a follower of Christ. Doesn't mean that. Let him deny himself does not mean you become a follower of Christ by not eating this or that or doing this or that. Being a follower of Christ may lead you not to do this and that, but it's certainly not a condition of salvation. That you live in a particular man. Doesn't mean that. It doesn't mean or imply salvation by works. Well, what does it mean? Let him deny himself. Well, it means let him uh, uh, literally um, object to himself and put himself out of the picture, disavow all confidence. In himself. Let him deny himself. It means this I cannot earn my salvation. I deny that I can pay for my salvation, that I can deserve it. I deny that I am good enough for God, even partially. I deny that. I disavow all confidence in myself and my works. And my goodness, I need the grace of Christ and free forgiveness. I need his atoning death to completely answer for me and my sins to take the burden and the guilt away. Let him deny himself first and foremost, his goodness, his worth, and so on. and it means something else: let him deny that there is satisfaction and fulfillment and happiness apart from God in this world. Let him deny himself. In other words, I'm not going to succeed in this life and be happy and be a better person and be acceptable to God and go to heaven by the things I can have here. They cannot secure for me anything spiritual. I deny myself addiction to my ambitions, addiction to my longings and desires and whims and fancies. I deny myself moral liberty to live as I like. I deny myself my own opinions in everything. To be a disciple of Christ, I deny myself and listen to him and obey him and honour him it's as simple as that let him deny himself that's the sense in which this self-denial is meant and yes that's a condition of salvation do I repent of my sin well it means I've denied that I am good enough for God that I can do it, that I am acceptable. Do I turn to Christ and him alone for salvation? I've denied my old policy, that I can find satisfaction and everything worthwhile in this life, in my pleasures, in my acquisitions, in my possessions. I must look for that in Christ alone. Forgiveness and life and understanding. Yes, self-denial in that sense is part of salvation. Here it is. It goes on, however, in verse 34. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. That's interesting. Christ has just been speaking about his death that he would be killed. He would suffer many things of the chief priests and the people of everyone and be killed and rise again the third day. But he didn't mention a cross. But now he says, whoso will follow me, let him take up his cross. That's a hint, isn't it? So when he says he dies, he's going to die by a cross, he doesn't spell that out but very significant that he should use this phrase within a few sentences of the other one predicting his death, his being killed but nevertheless he's referring to a Roman execution and I think you probably all know that when somebody was executed by the Romans by crucifixion, by that particular method, they carried the cross member of the cross to the point of execution. The uh, archaeologists seem to think that the evidence shows that the Roman custom in the Roman Empire was not to carry the whole cross because the upright stake would remain in the ground from execution to execution, very often, would never be taken down. It would be left. But the cross member to which you would be tied, and all the evidence of crucifixions, by the way, shows that the crucified person was tied at the arms. The archaeologists seem to think, but they're not necessarily right, that it was pretty exclusive to Christ, our Saviour, that he was nailed through the hands and feet. Nailing through the ankles was common, but no sign of nail marks in the arms of crucified people or their bones, rather, that have been examined. It was as though they were usually tied. But that cross member... Would be dragged to the point of execution by the person to be crucified. That was what is called carrying your cross. In other words, when the Lord Jesus said, Let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me, he is saying, To be mine is going to involve suffering. You are going to be rejected by people you may not be in a time or place of physical persecution but you will still be rejected society generally perhaps will look askance at you and despise you or scorn you or reject you in some way to be a follower of me means to deny yourself and your capabilities and your ambitions and fondness for this world, and it means to be ready to take the offence of the cross and to suffer for my sake. Those are the two things. Deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, I have to mention this because there's a lot of people, I, I think they are possibly sincere, They say they believe in Christ and Calvary and that they're saved, but they can't bear the idea of carrying his cross. So if somebody says, Come to my party, join my band, enjoy my worldly music, do my worldly things, follow my worldly fashions and dress, they buckle in and say, Yes, yes, I'll do that. I'll comply. And then they make a virtue of it. Oh, we have to be contemporary. To win the world, we have to be like the world. But what are the words of Christ? You have to be ready to bear your cross and to accept the offence of the cross and to be separate from the world and different and to stand for Christ. And I fear there's a large sector of people and they may have a lot of sincerity in them, who have abandoned the cross-bearing in order to please the world and accommodate the world. But here are the terms. Take up his cross and follow me. But the question is still with us. At what point do you take up the cross? Because surely Peter was a saved man. He was following Christ And yet when Christ says, I'm going to suffer and die, be it far from thee, Lord. And what was in Peter's mind? You later find out that there was much discussion among the disciples as to who would be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who would be the chancellor of the exchequer? Who would be the the justice secretary? Who would be this, who would be that in the administration of Jesus Christ when he took over the world? That's what they had in their minds. There's something here for us. We're going to be great ones in this new kingdom. They understood him to be, as you know, a political messiah. They didn't yet understand. He was a spiritual messiah. They were already claiming offices and discussing it among themselves so naturally when he says i'm going to be i'm going to suffer and be killed and rise again no 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 that's not for you lord you're going to be great the leader of our nation and Christ said to him get me behind get thee behind me satan you go for the things the things of this world the things that savour this world. So Peter was for the Lord and loved him, yet he still didn't understand about cross-bearing. And then he denied the Lord three times, just before Calvary. He loved him. He was his. But he hadn't taken up his cross yet. Calvary changed all that and the resurrection and everything wonderfully dawned. And I would put it to you in this way. You repent of your sin and you trust in the Lord with all your heart and you yield yourself to him and it may be sincere and genuine. These things may be brought about in you by the Spirit of God And consequently, you know that you're the Lord's. And yet you still may not have taken up your cross. But you will, if you're truly saved, you will pretty soon take up your cross. It'll come. It's not a condition for salvation to take up your cross, but it is a fruit of salvation. It's a consequence. It inevitably follows. Sometimes straight away. By the grace of God, we get it all in one bound. And someone is, trusts Christ and is saved and takes a tremendous stand from day one, minute one. For most people, there might just be a little while A day, a week, rarely sometimes more, a month, even a year, possibly, I don't know. But it'll come, and if it doesn't come, and if it never happens, that your salvation issues in cross-bearing, taking up your cross daily, every day, in some shape or form gladly for him if it never comes you're a nominal Christian you were never yet truly saved and you should go to Calvary with all your heart that's how I see it so you can't make these things cross bearing and so on conditions for salvation because that would be bringing works into salvation but they're fruits that follow, as a general rule, pretty quickly. And that's how we see it. And before we admit someone to membership, we want to see the signs following. We want to see the fruits. We want to see the cross-bearing and the readiness to live for him wholly and to stand for him and to give up those distinctively worldly things that you desperately needed as crutches in your life before. So that I put you is the best way to see it. Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and his fittedness and his ambitions in this world and take up his cross and follow me. Learn from him, pledge to him, serve him, make known his cause, go wherever he sends you. And then the great words in verse 35, for whosoever will save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it save your life. Well, the sense should be obvious to us. We're talking about the old life, the life in this world, the life for material things, the life for me before I knew the Lord, the life which served my whims and my desires and hopes and ambitions and my way and my views. I want to save it. I want to be a Christian on the one hand, and yet save my self-determination. I want to be a Christian and yet save all my wealthy possessions and get even more. I want to find satisfaction in them. I want to be able to boast about where I've got in life, in this material life. I want to be able to tell people about my wonderful, expensive possessions. I want to be seen, recognized, acclaimed, have some measure of fame and wealth and get my happiness there. I want a lot of recreation and entertainment and this world's entertainment and pleasure. I want life. For me, I want to save a large portion of the old life. Whoever wants to do that will lose their life. Yes, but I trusted in Christ. I repented. I believed in him. I go to church every week. You've still got the old life. And the old delights and the old attachments. Whosoever will save the old life will lose it. Again, this is not a condition of salvation. The only condition of salvation, salvation by grace through faith alone, is repentance and faith in Christ. But very quickly the fruit comes. And I don't want to save the old life. But I know churches where lots and lots of the members are unchanged from the lives they lived before they were saved. They're still living for the pleasures of this world and for the gains and the ambitions and the station and the progress and the advancement. And the words of Christ are still true. Whosoever saves the old life will lose it. You need fruit of salvation if that's the case or we're only nominal we need to be for him and once we're saved it dawns on us and we become wholly his if we're really saved and we don't want to save the old life we want the new life which is for him not for me that's the meaning of it And Christ was speaking not only to the disciples, but to the crowd. Not only to the crowd, but for the disciples. So there's a meaning for both. And for the disciples, you've got to be not saving the old life. Whosoever shall lose his life, the old life, Part with it, say goodbye to it for my sake to have me says the Lord to have me as his companion, his brother his friend, his lord his master to find his satisfaction in me and my word says the Lord whosoever will lose the old life and all it sought after for my sake And the Gospels, to make me known, to proclaim the Gospel, to pray for other people, to long for them, to work together with others in the Church of Christ, to save souls, the same shall save it. This is the definition of a truly saved person we don't answer to this, we're only nominal. We've only assented. We've never found him. We haven't got a new life. We're busy saving the old one. Verse 36, For what shall it profit a man? What will you gain? If he shall gain the whole world. That's one of the things the devil offered to Christ, to gain the whole world as it was, the material world, to be king of it all. And Satan would retire to the background, but not a soul would be saved. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? Think of it, gain the whole world like an old time emperor who can survey the world around and say it's mine like an Alexander the Great it's all mine like Nebuchadnezzar it's all mine what did it gain either of them if you could gain the whole world and you can't oh well in just one area I'll be famous throughout the world and lose your soul there are endless stories about people who sold their souls Spurgeon used to tell one about a man who sold his soul for half a crown two and sixpence in old money but he came under conviction in the story and terrified at what he'd done. I've never heard of anyone selling their soul for a few shillings, for a few pence. But I know lots of people who've sold their soul for fame, or some degree of fortune, or earthly satisfaction. If you gain the whole world in either wealth, or notice, approval, whatever it is, and lose your soul. Are you going to be able to buy your soul back? Look at what the Lord says. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Exchange in the Greek is a trading word. Swapping one thing for another. Getting your value out of something. It means how can a man buy back his soul? What have you got to buy back your soul with? You live for something in this world rather than the Lord, and even as a Christian, you say I'll worship, I'll believe, I'll read the Bible. I'll I'll serve the Lord in some measure. But I'll hold on to my old life too and revel in things and position and wealth and acquisitions and all this sort of thing. You do that, but you come to the end of life. How are you going to get your soul back? You've given it up. You've sold it. It's not functioning. You're not walking with God. How are you going to get it back? You haven't got anything that can secure your soul. You can't buy it back. You haven't got anything that's of interest to God. Only Christ can purchase your soul in his redeeming love. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Once you've sold it, you've lost it. And you've sold it for nothing. Whosoever therefore, verse 38, And we come, draw to conclusion with these words. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me. And the word ashamed translates the Greek which comes from disfigurement. If a person, the idea behind the word is this. If a person is deeply disfigured, then that person would naturally want to hide his features or her features in some way they would be an embarrassment to that person that's the idea behind the word whoever is ashamed of Christ as though he's a disfigurement to you I don't want my work colleagues to know I'm a Christian I'm embarrassed by my association with Christ I don't want my family to know too much about it I want to be a secret disciple. It's like having a a disfigurement. And that is Christ. I shall be silent. And I won't represent him. And I won't stand for him. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me. It couldn't be better translated. Ashamed of me. And of my words. In this adulterous and sinful generation, yes, even though we're surrounded by a society and a generation which revels in sin and adultery and LGBT values and so on, even though it's going to be rough for us to be ashamed of him and his words, Is so grave, is so insulting, is so treacherously ungrateful, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. Such a person must be a nominal Christian, not a true Christian. So if that's my position, and I say it doesn't represent me I better get out of it quickly I better pray for deliverance from it and represent him and let it be known that I am his and speak for him and pray for people and seek to reach them If Christ would be ashamed of me, because I'm ashamed of him, I must be nowhere. So I'll reverse my way of life, and I'll ask him to help me, and I will show this proof of conversion also. That's our counsel. Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed. But listen to these final words. When he cometh. When he cometh, he's coming. And suddenly, one morning, one afternoon... One twilight, I don't know. There'll be a most astonishing light. You know how it is. Just now and then, a special kind of storm comes. And before it comes, there is the strangest sky that you've seen for weeks. You say, it looked like that one day last year. It doesn't often happen. Menacing Threatening, sulking, quiet sky with a threat in it, and you say something unusual is coming. Well, just think of that. It's no illustration, but something many, many times more mysterious and strange and unusual than that. Such a light will appear before the coming of the Son of Man and believers will know what it means and then there will be a sound the scripture describes it in different ways a mighty sound a piercing sound a trumpet sound but that may be a metaphor it may not be like a trumpet it may be literal I can't tell you but there'll be a commanding, resounding effect that we never heard before, and a light, and Christ shall come in his glory. Well, how can we describe that? The glory of his Father, we cannot begin to know except that it will be overwhelming and glorious and magnificent when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels and time will be ended and on that day he will be ashamed of all who were ashamed of him. But dear friends, do you have in you the mark of salvation? Not necessarily a condition of salvation but a certain mark That you're a willing cross-bearer, that you're not trying to save the old life, that you readily take up the new life, and that you represent him. Wonderful signs and seals of assurance. You are his. It's the description of Christ the Lord.